Well, praise God. We want to go on in, uh, would you believe it, Romans. And um, you remember, I hope, last time we were Last time we were here, um, we dealt with um, what? Who remembers? Propitiation. And what was propitiation? Hmm? What was it? To avert wrath. Obviously, Mary did in shorthand, so she had an advantage. Um, to avert wrath is um, the thing that's important and it's also translated the same word as mercy seat in Hebrews and um, though uh, it doesn't quite mean that in the context where Paul was using it he's talking about placating wrath and um, so we went on and there were four things necessary in propitiation who remembers what they were what was the first one? Right. Second, a person who's offended and needs to be satisfied. Thirdly was... Hmm? An offending person. And fourthly, there's a sacrifice or some means of making an atonement for the offense. And um, what did um, to expiate mean? To cancel sin. That's why it shouldn't be used in this context. Expiate, which is used in all modern translations, is used uh, from about... Uh, 1840 onwards and you know you'll get people like Dodds and, and commentators like that who I hope you never read because if you do you'd go into error uh, would like to take away the necessity Dr. Dodds if you want to know uh, would take away the necessity of the idea of the wrath of God and everything is geared today to us believing that God is all loving and there's no wrath in God and you remember we went through a few scriptures didn't we uh, God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men amen and um, Really, we come to the next question in Romans. If you turn with me now, we'll go back to Romans. And um, verse 24 of chapter 3, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness 
for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Uh, I want to go on with the next part of the verse. Um, whom God has set forth to be a, a propitiation through faith in his blood. Now, faith consists of three things. Firstly, you have to be aware of the truth. Secondly, you have to assent to the truth. And thirdly, one has to commit oneself to live in that truth. Amen. So if we're going to have faith in his blood, firstly, we have to know and become aware of the truth about his blood. Secondly, we need to assent to that truth. And thirdly, we need to commit ourselves to the truth of the blood. Now that is something that when you start talking about blood, it's not the most pretty picture. Uh, and uh, if I were to say to you, well, it says that through faith in his blood, he, Christ is a propitiation through faith in his blood. And I were to ask you, well, uh, what does it mean? <coughs> the silence would go on because basically what we do, we tend to accept things without really having searched out the truth of them and one of the things we have to do is find the truth and be in the truth and the whole basis of the Christian doctrine and the characteristics of salvation as I've said are in these verses and we come to see that Christ is a propitiation through faith in his blood now, I need to know what that means. I need to know the importance of his blood and be aware of the truth that surrounds his blood in order to have a good grasp of the gospel. Now, it's strange, isn't it, when you think about it, that Christ was crucified on Calvary's cross and yet, his crucifixion isn't the thing by which he is made a propitiation. It's his blood. His death isn't the important thing. It's his blood. Why doesn't it say through his death? But through his blood. And it becomes interesting when you start looking and we're going to spend the evening looking. And um, I suppose you could say we're going to
spend an evening rather dwelling on the subject of blood. Uh, blood is a necessity. Uh, you should all have some. Uh, and obviously, it's one of those things which the modernist and the humanist doesn't like to talk about. Because, um, not that they're worried or squeamish, but um, the fact is that once you start talking about blood and, and things like that, it becomes very, very obvious. You know, blood is not a thing you want to see spilt anywhere. Blood is connected with death. Always. In the, in the blood is the life of the soul. But you spill it and death can result. If you lose enough blood, you die. I believe everyone's meant to have 11 or so pints of it. I have never sought to count mine. I just trust it's all there. And... Um, Blood is there and it's an essential ingredient of life. And it's interesting, if you look at the animals, uh, they have blood too. And uh, blood is something that is uh, part of life force. And we must understand it and see why was it that they made such an important thing of blood. Why is it through faith in his blood? Why not through faith in the life he lived? Through faith in the death he died? Through faith in his resurrection? Why faith in the blood? Have you ever wondered? Hmm? No? You know, it's something I always used to think. When I first came to Christ and God moved on my heart and life and I heard people singing hymns about the blood and I heard people talking about the blood, I thought, you know, this is a bit gory. Uh, you know, it, it didn't seem the value of it and the importance of it and the significance of it never really struck me. No one ever explained it to me. Uh, I didn't ever have the good fortune that you have um, having someone else explain it. I had to find out for myself. I don't know that you'd count it good fortune to be here, but there you are. Um, you should if you have any appreciation for good things. We'll turn first to Acts. Um, now, we're going to go... A through the scriptures, we're starting at Acts. Propitiation through his blood. And in Acts of the Apostles, chapter 20, Chapter 20 and verse 28, page 200.
Take heed therefore unto yourselves. And this is Paul, I think you'll remember, he's writing to the uh, leaders of the church. Uh, it's the Ephesian church. Uh, Take heed uh, therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. Now the church of Jesus Christ has been purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ. The first thing is the blood has purchasing power. The church was purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, uh, when this was written, uh, it was written um, uh, from Miletus, verse 17, uh, uh, he, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. Now, what I want to point out is the thing was the blood. Now, here was a new church, and Paul was saying, look, it's been purchased by his own blood. Did you realize that the church is in being not because of the crucifixion of Christ, but because of the blood that was shed. It's important to understand it. Okay, we'll look on in Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. And in Romans chapter 5 and verse Nine, we find much more than being now justified by his blood. We shall be saved from wrath through him. And you'll see that blood and wrath are linked together. We're saved from wrath by blood. Very important. And as you begin to look, you think, well, this becomes important. Ephesians. Um, turn on to Ephesians. Um, chapter 2. Ephesians 2, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were somet sometimes were far off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. You're made nigh to God and you're brought near to God by the blood of Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 9. Three eleven, chapter 9 uh, it's page 311 and verse 12 neither by the blood of goats and calves but by his own blood he entered him once into the holy place having obtained eternal redemption for us for if the blood of 
Now, the blood obtained, first in, in verse 12, eternal redemption. Purchased it. For if the blood of bulls, in verse 13, and goats and the ashes of an, uh, of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, through the eternal Spirit, offered himself without spot to God, purge your consciences from dead works to serve the living God? The blood of Christ, obtained eternal redemption and the blood of Christ purges your conscience from dead works the blood does it it's important you realize it's the blood I'm coming on to why okay we go on then in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19 Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us. Now the blood has consecrated a way for us into the holiest of all. It set aside a way for us to enter into the holiest of all. The blood has done that. important to know about the blood then isn't it and first epistle of Peter going on go to the first epistle of Peter chapter 1 and verse 18 for as much as you know you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain manner of life received by the traditions of your from your fathers but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot you were redeemed by the blood all right we go on to 1 John still going forward in the scriptures and in 1 John 1 But, in verse 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sin. The blood cleanses from all sin. The blood cleanses from all sin. Without blood, no cleansing. The blood cleanses from all sin. And also you'll see in Revelation, the same thought, Revelation chapter 1. And from, uh, well, let's take uh, verse 4. John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace 
from him which is and which was and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. We were washed from our sins in his own blood. He washed us in his blood. It says he washed us. We didn't wash ourselves. He washed us. Now the propitiation, that's the appeasement, you remember, is by faith in his blood. Now, did you ever realize how central blood is to the whole gospel? Why blood and not death? Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. That is true. Why blood? The life's in the blood. Why? When you start thinking about it, it's strange to have a faith that talks about blood, isn't it? No? I mean, have you ever thought, uh, you know, how, how can you get up in front of people and talk about Jesus loves you, now he wants to come and wash you in his blood? I mean, you know... I mean, it, it could be taken as a little offensive, couldn't it? I mean, can't he bathe us in his glorious spirit? Why can't they use other terminology? Why blood? strange isn't it when you think about it well the answer is in Romans chapter 3 really it's obvious Romans chapter 3 Verse 21 gives you the answer. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Now what the law and the prophets witness to is most important. You see, the New Testament or the New Covenant uh, is a fulfillment of the Old. 
the old covenant, the Mosaic covenant. The new covenant is a fulfillment of it. It does not negate it, it fulfills it. And therefore, obviously, the types and the figures must be fulfilled in the new covenant that were in the old. So it's vital that Christ fulfilled that which was passed and God revealed because you remember when Moses was in the mountain and God gave him a revelation of the tabernacle God said to him see that thou makest this according to the vision that I have given thee in the mountain and Moses was told um, and we're told that the things of heaven are revealed and you remember we spent I think it was six months or so um, covering the tabernacle of Moses, didn't we? We did a study on it some three years ago or two years ago or some long time ago and possibly we'll come back to do it one day although I suppose they've still got some tapes of it, have you? Must be about 30 odd, I would think. It would take an awful long time to go back through it, six months and I don't know why I have that time left. Um, but the thing is sorry Doris I was not meaning to upset you um, or were you hopeful um, the, the thing is this the New Testament always puts Old Testament teaching the New Testament always puts Old Testament teaching um, in a sacrificial way. In other words, you'll find all the New Testament uses Old Testament terms because it's a fulfillment of what the law and the prophets foretold would happen. Therefore, obviously, it always agrees with the Old Testament. If you ever find someone is teaching a Christian doctrine that isn't totally fulfilling what the Old Testament prophesied, then you know that they're in error. You know if it's not totally fulfilling what the Judaic tradition taught in the scriptures, you know that it's error. That is why I'm always suspicious of Christian groups who like to dwell in the New Testament and don't have a balance and a look and, and see that the whole scripture is the revelation of God. Because the whole of the New Testament is a fulfillment of the Old. Nothing less. Jesus Christ came to fulfill the law and the prophets. You all understand that. Now, the Bible is inseparable. You cannot take just the New Testament and say, well, I'm a Christian and I just want to read about the New Covenant, which is the covenant, you know, of grace. Because the covenant of grace exists in the Old Testament too. And you can't understand the covenant of grace if you don't know the Old Testament. The old is by the new explained. And you find the New Testament will explain the old. And the old will give you pictures and examples to understand the new. But without the Old Testament, you cannot possibly come to a full understanding of the revelation of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ nor can you understand what Christianity is all about 
So it's vital we understand the two are one. Now you all appreciate that. Uh, it annoys me when I do meet Christians who uh, love to dwell in the New Testament and they throw out a lot of what's said because, oh, well, that was Old Testament, that was Old Covenant, that doesn't apply to me, that, that, that went, you know, that was Jewish, that, no, that's Old Covenant, no, that's, you know, that's past. I'm, in, I'm living in the New Covenant. Uh, I, I mean, something that springs readily to mind was uh, I was talking to a man and his wife who lived in Harlow and purported to be an elder of a church of three and he'd been there about five years I think you know and the church had grown to three and remained at three and multiplied to three and was going to last a long time at three and I was talking to him and he you know oh but I'm in the new covenant Oh, you know, God's brought me into the great revelation. And all that twaddle. And so I said to him, well, if you're in such a good state, it says in the scriptures that except your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll in no wise enter into the kingdom of God. He said, oh, I believe that, you know. So I said, all right then, tell me, do you tithe? Of course not. That's old covenant. I said, well, you don't. He said, no, no. He said, give a tenth, that's old covenant. Why? He said, I've given everything to God. Everything belongs to him. So I said, I see, well, that's very commendable. But um, if everything belongs to him, how much of it do you actually let him use? He said, well, what do you mean? It's all his. I said, yeah, but tell me, do you give anything to missionaries or other works of God? You know, um, say, 30% of your income? Because it's got to exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. Do you give 30%? No. Or 20 well, no. Well, 10%. Well, actually, no. 5%? No. Well, do you give anything? Well, occasionally, if we have a visiting speaker, maybe from a long way away, I might give something. So I said, so your glorious position in the new covenant has got rid of the old, and you do far less. You disobey Christ. Ah, well, you see, I'm not under law. I'm under grace now. I said, but Christ said that your righteousness has got to exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. And he got upset. You know, he said, well, you're very legalistic. I mean, this was given to Moses. So I turned in Hebrews and showed him that Abraham paid tithes. And that was before the old covenant existed. And Abraham was the father of us all, the father of faith. But 
Then I pointed out to him the sin and degradation in his, his own life and the hypocrisy he was living under, telling people he never sinned when his life was a total contradiction. And challenged him. Uh, he resigned from being the elder of the three, but he never got his life right with God. He went into a nervous, uh, whatever you call it. I don't know what I would like to say it was, a disillusionment of his spiritual state. But he wouldn't come and get his heart right with God. But his whole philosophy and doctrine was just read the New Testament, read the New Testament, and... and Try and work out, you know, everything from the New Testament. You don't need the old. It doesn't matter what, what Moses said. It doesn't matter what Abram said. It doesn't matter what the Old Testament says. I'm the new covenant. And in fact, the preacher who goes around and has influenced them most uh, used to call his church the New Covenant Church. And uh, not a healthy church at all. I've seen the decimation of people's lives through such teaching and uh, you wonder when you listen to them because it sounds so logical I mean when you hear someone doesn't tithe they've given everything to God doesn't it sound great hmm? everything's the Lord's and you think well that's fantastic what commitment to give everything Lord, everything's yours for me to use as long as I'm here. I've committed it all to you, Lord. If you want to take it, I'll try and stop you. But it's here for me to use in the meantime. They don't actually pray that and say that, but that's what they mean. And it's interesting. I found it fascinating how a man could get up and tell me he never sinned as he did and yet I used to know that he'd fight like a dog with his wife so I had the wife in there and I said your marriage isn't happy is it no in fact you're totally disillusioned aren't you dearie by his hypocrisy yes and his own wife testified against him I always say when you know, I meet a man, give me ten minutes with his wife, and I'll tell you what type of Christian he is. Uh, please don't misinterpret that. I mean, you know, a ten-minute chat will soon tell me what the wife really thinks of him. And I've found that always the way. I always, when I meet someone and I hear that they're a minister, the first thing I want to do is meet their wife because that gives me a pretty good indication. It's amazing. Wives are what you make them. Mine's an angel now. <laughs> Most of the time. And she's knocked me into pretty good shape. But I seem to be getting pushed out of shape too. The New Testament doctrine is always explained. The Old Testament doctrine is always explained in the New. For Christ was the fulfillment. And if we look at it, you'll see this 
comes into the New Testament right at the start. Let's go into the Gospels. We're going to John's Gospel, chapter 1. John's Gospel, chapter 1. And... Um, Verse 29, introducing Christ. The next day John the Baptist seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Now John the Baptist introduced Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God. Now the Jews who were there all knew that a lamb was for sacrifice and to take sin away the lamb had to be slain. That was part of the Judaic. They knew you had to take the lamb to the temple. You had to confess your sins, laying your right hand on its forehead, and then <coughs> throat was slit, and that was it. Its blood was poured out, and the priest collected the blood in a basin. And the thing that was important was not just that the, the throat was slit and the lamb died, but the blood had to be presented in the Holy of Holies. The presentation of the blood was the important thing. Now, do understand that. And so, when John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world, there was only one way for the Lamb to take away the sin. According to the Jewish way, was by first death, and shedding of blood and then the blood being presented to God and you remember it was sprinkled on the mercy seat you remember right now that blood was an important part of the ceremonial so when John the Baptist referred to Christ the first time he speaks of him and says behold the Lamb of God what he was doing, he was saying, look, this is the fulfillment. This is the promised Messiah. The Lamb of God come. And of course, once he used the word lamb, they immediately associated it with sin offering because he said, which taketh away the sin of the world. And that's just what a lamb did for an individual. Hmm? Do you all understand that? the way the Judaic was immediately pointed to. Here was the New Testament, New Covenant prophet immediately pointing back to all the Jewish tradition and speaking in their language. For Christ came to the Jews first. To the Jew first and also to the Gentile. But Jew first. And therefore he's presented always in the terms of the revelation that God had already given. So we go on, and if you look in Matthew chapter 5, And in Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, here are the words of Jesus Christ. 
verse 17. Think that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. Think not. Don't you think I've come to destroy the law and the prophets? I am not come to destroy but to fulfill. Now if he's going to fulfill the law and the prophets, obviously there's a fulfillment of all the truths of the Old Testament need to be carried through in the New, don't they? He says, I don't come to make them null and void. What I come to do is fulfill them. Um, For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Now, I want to ask you, has heaven and earth passed away? Nor has one jot or tittle of the law. Got it? Okay. Whosoever, therefore, shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. All right? Our righteousness has got to exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. Okay? All with me so far. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 20. And Jesus' words. Even in verse 28, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Now he was going to give his life as a ransom for many. All right? You'll follow that was going to give his life a ransom for many. And in Luke's Gospel, chapter 24, the reason I'm going through all the scriptures is I want you to see how biblically based it all is. And verse 44, uh, and Jesus said unto them in Luke 24:44, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Now Jesus Christ said, Look, all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets 
and in the Psalms concerning me. Jesus said, all of them got to be fulfilled. Now, if Christ pointed and said, all those have got to be fulfilled, I need to know what it is in them that needs fulfilling, don't I? In other words, Christ wasn't saying, look, here's a new covenant that makes all that null and void. He said, look, I've come and I fulfill it all. Do you understand what I'm saying? In other words, you can't just banish the truth of, of the Scriptures. Now, of course, what happened, Jesus pointed out, that the scribes and the Pharisees had taken the words of God and then they'd sought their own doctrines and put all their own religious ceremonies to it instead of sticking to what had really been spoken by God. If you're a Jew today, you don't actually study the Scriptures. What you study is what men have made of the Scriptures because no one can be clever enough to actually read the Bible for themselves. And what they've done is they've, they've taken the traditions of the fathers and substituted them for the truths of God. And what Christianity has done has taken the truths of men of the past and substituted them for the written word of God. You will find today that men's opinions about the New Testament don't really tie up with what the Old Testament teaches. And, I mean, we learned, didn't we, last meeting, that one of the important doctrines of the Christian church is the wrath of God. God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and ungodliness of men. And yet, we discover that that's one of the least preached things in the Christian church today. Hellfire's not preached. Now another thing you don't get preached about is the blood. They talk about the death of our Lord, but not his blood. But look how important the scriptures seem to make his blood. You follow? Uh, it's important we see. And Christ was saying, look, I come to fulfill the law and the prophets, and they're vital. And in Timothy, as I've said so many times, instruction, reproof, correction, and doctrine. What scripture? Just the Old Testament. All doctrine must come from the Old Testament say well surely the New Testament contains doctrine it doesn't all the teaching Christ only fulfilled what was in the old so if he fulfilled what was in the old it was already there wasn't it well wasn't it now if you get the average charismatic or the average um, tiddlywink fellow uh, you know I can't think of a name for them so I better not use one it might not be flattering um, but if you get the average person their basic thing they poo poo the Old Testament but I believe that um, the New Testament was given by inspiration of the Holy Ghost but the fact was the scriptures weren't written at that time 
And you'll notice on the day of Pentecost, when Peter stood up in the midst of the twelve and began to proclaim, he said, this was that which was spoken by the prophet David. And then he expounded from the Psalms. This was that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And he expounded from the prophet Joel. And he used three scriptures. And all through the New Testament, they always referred back to the Old and quoted scriptures from them to show what was happening. Now, of course, what happened was God gave inspiration by the Holy Spirit and men wrote down the life of Christ, his death, his resurrection, and they wrote down what they knew to be true. And then Paul wrote epistles correcting errors that came into the church. But you'll always find he's referring back to the Old. It's always going back to the Old Testament. And bringing out the clarity of teaching that was there. And Jesus Christ, look at this. He said unto them, These words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets, and in the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures. Which Scriptures? That's right. Now a vital place for Christians is the Old Testament. I know churches where they don't hardly open at the Old Testament. They only seem to have Mark 16 and 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 and, and one or two other little well-worn passages in Ephesians and Colossians, and that's the lot. It's true, isn't it? Hmm? How many before you came to this church had ever gone through a study on the tabernacle of Moses? Before you came here? Well, the Americans had, they were, how many? Just one, two, we have to realize that um, it's important to know all about the Judaic customs and why they were there. Vital. And that's why I love my Bible because I find when I start thinking and meditating on the things, everything fits into place. It's so simple that any dum-dum can understand it. Why my brother-in-law? Let's take an example, my brother-in-law. Um, Fergus he's a professor in paediatric cardiology whatever that is when it's at home and he's the top man in the country and I dare say that he does a good job he's also mixed up in a pathetic Anglican setup because every Anglican setup is pathetic and 
when I sat down and talked to him some months ago and I began to ask him questions he told me he'd never ever studied the Old Testament it wasn't necessary so I began to quote scriptures at him and took him into Hebrews and showed him how the pattern of the heavenly was revealed uh, in Moses' tabernacle and I said did he know anything about it no he said he didn't think it was necessary so I started showing him how Paul always referred to the Old Testament and I said look you can't lead someone else until you're led yourself you can't teach someone else if you haven't been taught properly yourself what they've come into is charismatic jingle bells you know gifts of the spirit with no teaching and they're in a dangerous position he's gone into high pride really but the thing that I had to point out to him most acutely was a fact but you can't go on with God unless you're prepared to study the Word of God and the Scriptures in the Old Testament. You have no hope of understanding the ways of God. Jesus opened their understanding. Now why on earth didn't he write a book and give it to them and say, this is the New Testament, chaps, it's all you need. Why did he bother to point back because the revelation of God is always the same. God in whom there is no variableness nor shadow of turning. What we have in the new covenant is a better understanding. But what we don't have, we have the fulfillment of the Old Testament. What we don't have is a different gospel. The, the good news that Moses preached to the Israelites was the first gospel. He was the first gospel preacher, Moses. And it says in the scriptures that Moses preached the gospel. So if you want to know who the first person to preach the gospel was, it wasn't Peter. It was Moses. He stood up and preached the gospel and the good news brought deliverance to the children of Israel, didn't it? Hmm? He was the first one that told them that you had to sacrifice the lamb. And everyone had to eat of the lamb and the blood had to be taken and applied to the doorposts and lintels. Had to be caught in a basin. And the blood had to be applied. And then was God gave him the revelation of sacrifice for sin. And the whole thing was always on the basis of blood. And you remember when he sanctified the people, he took hessop and wool and he dipped it in, the, in a basin of blood. Do you remember? and sprinkle all the people blood and oil I mean when you think about it, it was and all the, the things were sprinkled with blood all the, the vessels for the tabernacle purified with blood very important to understand People might say, well, why blood? Why blood? Now, what I've done is I've taken you to the scriptures that are looking forward to his death. Now what I want to do is take you to the scriptures that are afterwards. And if you turn with me to 1 Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians 5,
And Paul talks about uh, verse 7, 1 Corinthians 5, 237. Uh, Paul says, Purge out therefore the old leaven, that you may be a, a new lump, as you are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Christ is our Passover, and he is sacrificed for us. Now you remember the Passover, they had to take a lamb and kill it. A lamb for a house. Do you remember the story, the children of Israel? Everyone had to get a lamb, didn't they? And Christ is our Passover. Now any Jew knows, firstly, there's no leaven in the house at the Passover. It's unleavened bread. Secondly, a lamb had to be taken and slain. And the blood was put on the doorpost and lintel. And afterwards they were to have a feast and always to remember the Passover. Unleavened bread and lamb. I don't know whether the Jews still do it today. I suppose they probably don't. Or do they? They do still, do they? Well, I don't know. I guess they would. Um, the Orthodox Jews, anyway. And... Uh, that's Christ our Passover. In Revelation chapter, uh, chapter 1, Revelation 1. <coughs> and you remember, uh, The, the, in Revelation 1 and verse 5 and from Jesus Christ who is the, the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood now the washing of, from sins in his own blood he does for us and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his father to him be glory and dominion forever and ever Amen now Christ washed us and in his own blood and made us kings and priests to who? To his father. Not kings and priests to one another. A vital thing to understand. There's no such thing on this earth as a priest to another man. doesn't ever say that if you read what the scripture says made us kings and priests unto God and you see where the direction's going a priest is a priest who comes and offers sacrifice to God he never offered sacrifice to the people. The Levites worked for the people. The priests were always Godward. We are made priests and kings unto God. That is why the deception is when you get these, you know, the Catholics uh, have priests and you go and confess your sins to them. I always feel sorry for a Catholic priest. Fancy having to sit in a confessional and listen to the drivelings of humanity must be awful to have to listen to the hideous stories 
I wouldn't like to have to sit there and listen to it. The depravity of mankind. And they don't know a way to be cleansed from it or delivered or born again from above. So every week they come back and pour out their filth and a poor man called a priest has to listen to it. It's little wonder lots of them become alcoholics. If I had to listen to all that, it would drive me to drink. If I didn't have an answer. And saying 20 Hail Marys doesn't change anyone. Then you have the priests in the Anglican church who are even more wicked for they claim to know the truth and have it not. And they go and they smite themselves. Oh, you know, I'm not worthy to come to this uh, table. And they beat their breasts, their high church. And then they make a sacrifice of Christ again. It's what they're doing. Catholics do it as well. They offer Christ in sacrifice again. I mean, the Catholics try and convince you that the wafer and it's only a little wafer, actually becomes the body of Jesus Christ when they put it on your tongue. Well, I'd want to spit it out if it was real flesh and blood, wouldn't you? And the cup becomes the real blood. I mean, what wickedness. It's wine. That's all. It's a symbol. Doesn't change. There's the doctrine. And the Anglicans believe that, you you know, uh, my mother-in-law, for instance, says that she gets some great virtue out of taking communion. I get none. I get virtue out of communion with Christ, but not out of taking a wafer or sipping the wine. I mean, I do it in remembrance. I know what it symbolizes behind it, but there's no virtue in it of itself. If I don't have a living faith in his blood and it's through faith in his blood not through faith in the fact that maybe a cup of wine is going to turn into blood and I, you know the, the thought of it fills me with horror you can imagine someone being handed the chalice and drinking it and blood <laughs> dribbling down and when they smile there's two teeth protruding I mean it, the whole thing's horrible Thank God it's not true, eh? <laughs> I'm glad it's not true. Yucks. You know, I don't fancy eating raw flesh, do you? Anyway, he is risen from the dead. In body. His body's up in glory. He sits on the right hand of the Father on the throne. So how come I can be eating him every Sunday down here if he's up there. And with all the millions that are meant to be eating him, he goes round a long way. It's almost as bad as the little bits of wooden cross they've got. The Catholics all over the world got enough to make new forests in England. You wonder how many trees he was hung on terrible thing anyway there are errors that we have to guard against and I want to come on to the errors now these are errors mark it well 
These are not truths, they're untruths. These are not honest, they're dishonest. But these are things that people propagate. Methodist church, the Baptist church, the congregational rabble, the United Reform misfits, the Anglican atheists, and the Catholic Babylon. Now these people all go on this doctrine to a greater or lesser extent. And if you find it offensive what I say it is. Firstly, they consider that our attitude to the blood is pagan. They don't like the suggestion that the blood of Christ is... Um, it's something that needs talking about and needs to be central to our faith. I mean, except for transubstantiation. And anyway, only the priest drinks the blood. And as he's got to drink all of it, for it says drink ye all of it, that's why they're alcoholics by the end of a year. They're still trying to drink it up. But the, the thing is, that what they do is they will come to you. People will come to you and they'll say, well, they don't like this teaching on the blood. They find it offensive. And you will find in the Methodist hymn book that they substitute hymns, Christian hymns, that sing about the blood. They'll substitute the lines and change the words because they don't like reference to the blood. United Reformed Church done the same. They try and expiate the blood from their gospel in other words cancel it out they don't like the idea of blood because it's bloody and they just don't like it and people don't like blood do they and so you'll find the whole thing in the old ways, they look at the Jews and they say that their, their customs of slaughtering sheep and oxes was awful. And, you know, terrible. They were pagan. In fact, uh, you know, you'll get people who criticize the Jews for their sacrifices and the, the customs laid down by Moses. They say they're awful customs. But they were God's commands and blood had to be shed. Now what the modern church does is of course they want to dissuade people from believing in the Old Testament because if you do, you have to accept a God who demanded blood. And so you get a whole error and anyone that goes away and shies away from the blood demand is in error. And the second thing the second great error that you must be aware of is the doctrine that they preach nowadays that when Jesus Christ shed his blood on Calvary's cross he was giving up his life to Father. That is not true. What they say is because his blood was shed 
the life is in the blood and therefore what he was doing in actual fact was offering his life to father and they then make a glorious thing about how you know into thy hands I commend my spirit and how wonderful it was they forget the words my God my God why hast thou forsaken me and they leave out the crucial thing because they can't stand the idea of a blood atonement they take away the one crucial thing in the gospel that is when Jesus Christ was on Calvary he was not dedicating his life to his father he was taking the wrath of his father into himself he was taking the wrath of God into his own body and suffering the wrath and the rage of an angry God against mankind Christ took it all into himself and the important thing about the blood was his death the blood was efficacious because it was his death you see when the, when the blood was taken in to be sprinkled on the mercy seat what was important was that the sacrifice outside had been killed the blood was the proof that the life had been shed and the blood was taken in and sprinkled on the mercy seat but there was a victim outside that was dead now if it was just blood that was necessary all Jesus need have done was get a bowl slit his wrist and take off a pint then kind of bandage it up and go to father and say here's the blood he'd have died it would have been his blood wouldn't it he was without sin wasn't he it would have still been the blood that he could have presented but you see the death had to occur and Jesus couldn't die unless God's wrath was poured out on him and he became sin because a person without sin can't die so he had to become sin who knew no sin I didn't say he committed sin became sin and his blood was shed and in actual fact he became the lamb that took your sin and my sin it's as though I went and put my hand on his forehead and my sin was identified with him and your sin was identified with him and his blood was poured out in crucifixion and you remember the centurion came and pierced his heart and blood and water ran out now that blood was taken and presented to the father now it's important you understand the truths of those that it is not life the blood representing life but it's blood representing death when he went up to glory and he presented it to the father he was presenting the fact father I took your wrath and your wrath was laid out on me on Calvary's cross and here's the blood which atones for all mankind's sin when the high priest went in once a year into the tabernacle he went into the holy of holies once a year with the blood do you remember a basin full of blood and he sprinkled it on the mercy seat 
but outside the bullock had died and the blood was taken in that's why it says Christ suffered without the camp then into the holiest of all that's why we have boldness to go into the holiest of all by the blood of Jesus Christ says in Hebrews do you understand that's the way in by blood but the blood is efficacious because of his death if he hadn't died the testament would be of no effect says in Hebrews and we need to understand that and um, everyone likes to avoid the truth of wrath and this great idea of the wrath of God being poured out on Jesus Christ people find obnoxious they like to believe that Jesus took our sin into himself and then died to sin they'll tell you that what they won't tell you is that when he became sin on Calvary's cross the wrath of God that you and I rightfully deserve to have put on us was put on him and that's why he cried out on the cross my God my God why hast thou forsaken me because for the first time he found all the wrath of the father poured out on him that was why the cry came now you see people don't like that how can the God be vengeful because he's righteous he said in the day that a man sins he shall die now Christ died in your and my place and the wrath of God he took into himself that I might live forever that I might have eternal life true I'll step out of this body it's only a lump of dust but I'll have eternal life in my spirit and in my soul there'll come a day when I'll just put off this and this corruptible will put on incorruption it says in the scriptures I'll have a glorified body he rose again from the dead and I know I'm going to rise from the dead I know there's going to be a mighty sound of a trumpet and the earth's going to rend and the graves will open and those of the first resurrection are going to come forth in glory glory to God and I know I'll be among them And that's one of the wonderful things I know I'll be caught up to meet him in the air and it says that every eye shall see it glory to God they're going to look and say that fellow Mike Reed was right after all <laughs> they'll see it <laughs> I'll go wee as I go up <laughs> I told you so in that day they'll wish they believed on the Lamb. Amen. Now there are four reasons for the blood sacrifice. The first one, why the blood is so important. Four things. You've got a pen, note them. The first is to propitiate God. What does that mean? pardon to avert God's wrath now the propitiation number two is secured by cancelling or expiating the guilt of sin 
In other words, when you believe Christ is the propitiation and you have faith in his blood, you find your sins cancelled. Three, the propitiation was affected by death. Effected. Not affected. Effected. By death. In other words, uh, Christ could only become my ransom and take the death that I deserved if he died. He had to become the victim. I was the offender. All right? Now, God was offended with me. God is offended with you. Now, Jesus had to be the victim, the innocent victim, the lamb. And four is there has to be restoration in favor. In other words, I'm restored to communion with God because of the sacrificial offering. It's because of what Christ did on Calvary's cross, I'm forgiven, and God looks on me as pure. We have the righteousness without the law now. Why? Because Jesus Christ is our propitiation through faith in his blood. Amen. You all understand that. We go on then. You'll notice something that the blood had to be produced. When the priest killed an animal for sacrifice, uh, it wasn't just necessary for the animal to be killed. The blood had to be kept in a bowl. And it had to be either sprinkled on the altar of incense, on the horns of the altar of incense. It also had to be put on a brazen altar. Or the blood was taken in, as I said, once a year, uh, into the Holy of Holies by the high priest once a year and was offered on the mercy seat. Now that appeased God's anger. As long as the Day of Atonement was fulfilled, God's anger was appeased. Of course, when the Jews went away from God, they always left off the true sacrifice. That was the interesting thing. God allowed the Ark of the Covenant with the mercy seat on it to be captured. They went down into captivity. Their sacrifices and the ways they worshipped were, when, when they went into sin, God stopped. Then there was no way of appeasement. So God's judgment and wrath was kindled against the Israelites. Okay? Why? Why was it not just merely enough to kill an animal? You might ask. If you look in Hebrews chapter 9, Verse 20. Or let's take verse... Uh, verse 17 of Hebrews 9. All right, we're page 310. Okay. Uh, we'll 
let's take um, verse 14. It all applies, but it's just difficult. I don't want to go on too long, so I'm just trying to choose where to go. How much more shall the blood of Christ, through the etern- who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And for this cause he is the mediator of the new covenant, or new testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where a testament is, or a covenant is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. In other words, a covenant demands death. The person must die. If you make a will, when does it come into force? When you're dead. Uh, I hope you've all made one. You never know how long you've got. I haven't. But I should. But it's something you don't like to get around to. But I must. For every day I get older and nearer. Uh, For a testament is is a force after men are dead. Otherwise it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. Whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying... This is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. Moreover, he sprinkled with the blood both the testament, the tabernacle, and all the vessels of the ministry. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without shedding of blood is no remission. It was therefore necessary that the pattern of things in the heavens should be purified with these but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these for Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands which are the figures of the true but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with blood of others For then he must often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment, so Christ was offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him He shall appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Amen. Christ is entered into the heavens for us and he's going to appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Do you know, I know he died and I know he rose again from the dead. I know he took into his own body my sin. 
I know his blood was shed for me and I know his blood cleanses me there's no cleansing no remission and remission means that it's sent away none of that without shedding of blood Christ's blood is the most important thing it's been presented to Father it's sprinkled in heaven now it's a place for me amen I can live in total knowledge that all my sins are washed away and his blood cleanses me and goes on doing so if you look in Romans 6 the last verse of Romans 6 the reason for it all is this for the wages of sin is death so Christ had to taste death for every man but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord uh, in Isaiah 53 don't bother to turn to it it says God hath laid on him the iniquity of us all Isaiah 53 uh, when it's talking of Christ's crucifixion and in John 3.16 it says for God so loved the wor world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe on him should not perish but have everlasting life and the last verse of Romans 4 who was delivered for our offenses and was raised for our justification and in Romans chapter 8 verse 32 he that spared not God who spared not his own son but delivered him up for us all how shall he not with him also freely give us all things how shall he not of course he shall because of what Christ did we can receive freely by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves it's the gift of God doesn't matter what you do it's what Christ has done and when you come to that realization it is glorious and in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 19 you remember having therefore brethren boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil that is to say his flesh and having a high priest over the house of God let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering now what have you got to do hold fast the profession of your faith in other words one of the things the enemy does to get a person down is to point at their shortcomings now my shortcomings are my shortcomings I'm six foot one but all of us fall short of the glory of God 
and there are times when we sin. Now, one thing I mustn't do is lose my profession of faith. I have boldness to enter into the holiest of all, not because of the way I live and how good I am, but because of what Jesus Christ did on Calvary's cross and his sacrifice. And I believe and hold fast to the profession of my faith that he, if I confess my sins, he is faithful and just to forgive me the same and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness, and I can come to God knowing that I'm pure and holy in his sight. That's the profession of my faith. I know God's forgiven me because of his son. You say, well, I don't feel forgiven. Then you're failing to hold fast the profession of your faith. It doesn't say the feelings of your faith. The profession of your faith is Jesus died for me. The wrath of God was poured out on him for me. I believe he's risen from the dead. He took my sin into himself. He bore it. His blood cleanses me. Amen? I'm forgiven. Now I've got to hold fast onto that. Anything that assails me, people come and tell me I'm evil. They tell me I'm of the devil. They tell me I don't understand the Bible. They tell me I'm, I'm a crank, a crook, a twister, or whatever you like. They can come and tell me all sorts. They can accuse me of this, they can accuse me of that, but they cannot shift me from the basis of my faith. Jesus Christ died for me on Calvary's cross. He took my sin into himself and the wrath of God was poured out on him and the third day he came from the dead. He presented the blood to the Father and I'm justified. In the sight of God, I'm pure. And they can like it all unpit, but that's what God considers. And that is the profession of my faith and that's what I believe. We, he is my propitiation through faith in his blood. Not in my actions, but in his blood. My whole faith isn't based on what I have, but on what he's done. I've got hold of what Christ has done for me. Now people can tell me that I'm odd. I don't care. They're as odd, if not odder. They can say that I don't look holy. I don't care. Because, you see, my righteousness is what Christ has. It's his righteousness. My righteousness is his filthy rags. Of course it is. If they tell me so, they're right. But what they don't understand is I have his righteousness. Firstly imputed to me, secondly imparted to me. They say, but you sin." So, I have something they haven't got. <laughs> I have cleansing. If you sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation. So I immediately look to my propitiation, the one who appeases God's wrath. Now others might get angry with me, but I'm only concerned how God gets with me. Others might think it's terrible, but what I want to know is how God thinks it is. And the moment I know and sense, and in your conscience, when God's angry with you, you know, you feel uncomfortable. That's what troubling in the conscience is. It's God's anger getting kindled against you, and you know you better start doing something. 
Now, when I do that, I look to my propitiation. The one who appeases God's wrath, Father's wrath, and took it all into himself. I get there and I say, oh my Jesus, he took that for me. Glory to God and Lord, thank you that you cleanse me in your precious blood and I can be free. Now others might say, well, I don't consider you repented. I don't care what they consider. 